Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. We're grateful for the gift of God upon your life, for stirring us in the things of, of the miraculous and the prophetic. Um, there's always a healing story every Sunday when you come. I don't have a healing story today, though, because I'm not Pastor Phil. Um, and Steve and Lily, we love you guys so much. You guys have poured into us as young people. And the number of times they've been at our sessions and we're trying to kick them out. You know, it's like, got to go now. But um, you guys have blessed us in more, more ways than you can know. And we love you. We appreciate you. Amen. That's good. That's good. Um, Lee and Patience are not here. Is Patience here? Patients still are not here, but they have been a big part of Ignite as well. <clears throat> Lee has come and spoken to us a number of times about finances. Um, he's helped us through the Cap Money course, you know, great course about managing your finances and budgeting. When you're a young student, a young adult, that's very important. So we appreciate that for them for that. Patience has spoken to us a lot about relationships, which is uh, very important for us as well. You know, we need some wisdom. We, <laughs> we need some wisdom. Elder John Wee was with us uh, our last session for this year, and he just prayed over us as we finished the year, and, and we are grateful for you, sir, as well. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, go ahead. All right, who's ready for the Word of God? That is a good woo. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. We welcome everyone listening online, in the live stream. Uh, if you're new um, to the church today, please come back next week so you can hear Pastor Phil. Don't, please do not judge this church by what I'm about to say. <laughs> Amen. I mean that with all my heart. Amen. John chapter 4. From verse 5, we're going to read. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. It's talking about Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sika, Sika. I did engineering, not English or Hebrew. Near the plot of, of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. (laughs) 
give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. This is where it got real. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers, when the true worshippers, any true worshippers in the house, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and they were supposed, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asks, what do you want? Or, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Towards him. That's twice. Shouldn't be there. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. My name is Chidera. (laughs) If you didn't already know. Um, I'm 23 years old. I graduated from the University of Cambridge uh, a few weeks ago. I did an engineering degree. I thought I'd get some respect for that, you know. Now I'm playing. And I'm single, 23 and single, and very much available. <laughs> if there are any parents in the house and you've got daughters who are marriageable age, you know, they don't need to be an evangelist. You know, they don't need to be a prophet. As long as they've been to church once in their life. Introduce them to me. Someone said this is bad. <laughs> Introduce them to me. I'm a Nigerian prince. <laughs> and we will. Yes, ma'am. I'm a child of God. My father is a king. Introduce them to me and we will discuss bride price. Um, when I was about 11 years old, I, I watched a movie with my dad, um, which is cool now to do because you guys have cinemas. I grew up in Nigeria and most of our movies were scary, you know, had a lot of demonic um, awareness in Nigeria. And we watched this movie. I was scared out of my skin. I said, hey, dad, I don't know Jesus they're gonna, they're gonna kill me in this country. And my dad led me through the sinner's prayer and I gave my life to God. That's how I started following the Lord. Um, but unfortunately, as a young kid, I wasn't really 
disciple. Disciple is a church word. It just means I wasn't taught. I wasn't brought up. I wasn't trained. No one said, hey, this is what you do when you give your life to Jesus. This is how you walk. This is how you think. This is the kind of people you should and shouldn't hang around with for your own growth. Um, so I just kind of went along my merry way uh, until I was about 16 and I had a girlfriend at the time. And um, this is a really funny story, actually. We, <laughs> I was pretty smart. You can probably tell because, you know, Cambridge. Um, <laughs> that's not a joke. I am smart. Um, <laughs> so we, we had a test, you know, we had a, a school test and we both took the test, myself and my girlfriend, and I did well at the test, unsurprisingly, but she didn't do so well, you know, so being the good boyfriend that the Lord has called me to be, <laughs> I, I was trying to, you know, console her and say, Hey, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Um, and she said to me three words. She said, leave me alone. Wow. And I thought, okay, we're, we're broken up now. And she said, which is probably a bit of a too serious a way to take it. But I took it as a breakup and I went home that night and I knelt by my bedside and I prayed. I said, God, I want someone in my life that's never going to say, leave me alone. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's Jesus. And from that day, I started following the Lord, committed my life to him. Um, and a few months later, I moved to the UK. I did A-levels in a place called Torquay, down south in Devon. And then a while after that, I moved here to the university. When I was about five years old, this is before Jesus, but when I was about five years old, I was molested as a kid, sexually, by a nanny. Um, a friend of mine asked me, hey, have you, have you forgiven her for what she did? And I just think she was a victim as well. You know, she didn't really know what she was doing. She was young. Or she had been brought up in a broken house. But uh, it, it broke a lot of things in my heart. You know, it, it exposed me to sexuality really young. Um, and when I, when I moved to the UK at 16, um, I started to struggle with engaging with people. Because the culture was different. The way you guys do life here is different. The weather was different. People spoke weird. You know, teachers were like, don't call me sir, don't call me madam. Um, and so I really, I really struggled to connect with people on a good, you know, friendship level. And I started to watch pornography, the 16-year-old, um, just to find that connection, you know, find that connection with someone, something, however, whenever. Um, and that carried on for a while. I didn't really tell anyone about it for about two, three years, kind of doing it on my own. I'd be like, hey, I'll do this. And every time I did, I'd go to the Lord, hey, Father, you need to forgive me. I did it again. And um, I just kind of kept it secret, kept it quiet. You know, you think, you think you've got it under wraps, under control. Any men in the room can relate to that. You feel like you've got something under control until it starts to consume you. Yeah. Um, things were fine, sort of on the external. I was still in church. You know, I was still doing music, loving people and serving. Um, and people were being blessed. You know, so I thought, oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm doing fine. My school was good. I had four A stars and A levels, so there's no problems here. And then I moved to the University of Cambridge. And one of the really weird things about the University of Cambridge is um, when you first come, you know, you're celebrated as a smart one in your like school, your A level school, your college, whatever. People, you know, you know, like you're the best, you're the brightest, whatever. When you come to Cambridge, you realize that everyone's the best. 
right? I'm not the best anymore. Actually, I'm one of the worst. You know, there's some people, they're just, they're just Einsteins and all that kind of stuff. And if you build your self-worth around um, performance and around uh, being this, being the best at this or being the best at that, it shatters quickly. It crashes quick. And I found myself in this position wondering where my self-worth was from. What makes me valuable anymore? Because I'm not the smartest. I'm not the, the most athletic. I'm not the most this or the most that. And porn became a bigger problem. Because every little thing I would start to turn to porn, you know, when I was stressed, I would turn to porn. When I felt lonely, that was a normal thing. But, you know, when I felt disappointed and I get a bad mark, <laughs> it was big. When I felt tired, sometimes when I felt hungry, I can watch porn. It was bad. It was real, real bad. And um, at the end of my first year, um, the Holy Spirit really challenged me one evening. I was, I was with a brother who, was, who used to be here. He was the uh, former youth part, youth worship pastor before Nick Hogben. You guys know Nick. Um, and I just, I just opened up to him. I said, hey, man, this is real. This is what's going on. And he said, yo, it's not just you. you know? A lot of people are dealing with this. But there's real freedom from it. And uh, he started to work with me. He started to, to disciple me. That word again, disciple. He started to teach me how to do life, how to, how to respond to temptation. And uh, a while after that, I spoke to Pastor Phil. And he is, oh man, I love this man. He, is, he has been with me every step. And I remember moments in his office where I would shed tears over, hey, I, I can't get out of this. And he'd just say, constantly, I'm proud of you. You're going to make it. You know, sometimes it's easy to say that God is the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think God is actually the light in the tunnel. When you're in there, that's where he wants to show you that I am with you right now. And for me, in that moment, Pastor Phil was a, a real representation of God being in the tunnel with you. Amen. I told my parents about it. So my mom was here a few weeks ago. Those of you who were wondering, what, what's the battle? That was the battle. <laughs> you know, it was real. It was tough. But, um, yeah, I really struggled for a while, even after that. And I remember there were, there were times where it got real bad. I would lock myself in my room and wouldn't want to come out and see anybody because the sense of shame was heavy. You know, when you feel like you're, you're worth nothing, you can't do the right thing. Um, one, of the, one of the first few things, first important things that changed for me was there was one time I was before the Lord and I said, hey, I can't, I can't get out of this. I can't stop doing this. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're not a sinner anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. You're my son. You know, do you know what? Remember the, the story of the prodigal son? If you've, been, if you've been in church a while, you might know that story. Um, it's actually the story of two sons, but we'll focus on the, the one that ran away. The moment where things changed for him, the Bible records is, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself. And what it really is, is when God tells you who you are, that's when you turn back and you say, I'm too good for this. Too good for this. And the Lord said, you're not a sinner anymore. You're my son. You're my son. And this is broken over you. And our time after that, the Lord began to teach me strategy and tactics of how to practically deal with this and how to um, pinpoint exactly where my temptations were coming from. And how I can deal with them one by one, one by one. Just like the Israelites fighting their, their enemies one by one. He shows you how to beat this one, how to beat that one. 
And um, praise God. Today now I walk in freedom. And um, <laughs> praise God. And the Lord is really giving me a passion for delivering sons and daughters out of this. And telling them that you're not a sinner anymore. You know the song, No Longer Slaves? That was the song of my season for about a year. Because we, have, we need a generation of Christians that are convinced beyond every measure of doubt that they are children of God. That they have the authority of the King of Kings. That their father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That they are above principalities and powers. We need a generation of that. Right? And my prayer in my heart is for people to come to a real awareness of who they are in God. Of who they are in God. We need the Father to speak over us and tell you who you really are. Amen. This story is very famous. If you grew up in church, you might have heard of it a number of times. Um, a lot of different things can be brought out from the story. Um, studying, studying it, it's yeah, there's a lot of richness to it, a lot of depth to it. And um, scholars have been arguing amongst themselves about the exact story of this woman. You know, was she married? Was she not married? Did she divorce her husband? Did they divorce her? But a few things are quite unusual. And they're quite clearly unusual from the story. One of them is that the woman was going to fetch water in the afternoon, at noon. And I don't know how much you know about the Middle East, but at noon, it is hot in the Middle East. It was kind of like that a few days ago in Cambridge. I was like, where are we? Are we still in Cambridge? My, my friend Marv at the back, he's sitting down. He, he made an Instagram post to some of his um, worldly friends. And he said, hey, you know, you guys are complaining that it's hot in Cambridge. You know, you don't want to know what hell is like. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you better fix your lifestyle if you're complaining about 39 degrees. Only God knows how hot it's going to be in hell. But it was hot, and the women of the day didn't normally go to fetch water at 12 noon. They would go in the morning when it was cooler, or in the evening when it was cooler. And even in the afternoon is when the shepherds used to bring their flock out. And so it was actually quite dangerous for you to go out in the afternoon on your own as a woman. Um, so this is very unusual. And you kind of look at it, and you go, why, why is she doing that? Why is she making all this trouble with a water jar on her head? in this intense heat, in some, some non, not very safe environment to go and fetch water. And then later on, Jesus tells her a story. Jesus says, hey, you've been married to five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And you start to get a sense of the kind of shame that this woman could have been dealing with. You know, maybe she does, just doesn't want to go out when there are people there. Doesn't want to interact, doesn't want to engage, doesn't want to be seen. She wants to hide, even if it will cost her a life. And this is the, the, the dilemma of shame. This is the problem of shame in our society. When it gets a grip of you, you start to isolate yourself. You start to hide out. You think it's safer for me to be where no one can see me. This was the problem with Adam and Eve. You know, God came to them in the evening. They had sinned. And God said, where are you? How many know God knew where they were? 
If God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. But the, the reality is these guys were hiding. They were trying to hide because of the shame of what they had done. It was so bad they were like carrying fig leaves to sew clothes with. How messed up is that? You know, that's, that's the power of shame. Uh, I heard a story one time about uh, a homosexual man. He was recorded, you know, in the acts. And his video was posted online for the world to see. And a few days later, he hung himself and killed himself. It's the power of shame. It takes you down a dark tunnel until you see nowhere out. Until you see nowhere out. There's no coincidence that Jesus was led to her. You know, I am convinced that God had intended to speak to this woman from the beginning of time. He wanted to, to, to get into a story. He wanted to show her that she could be redeemed. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you didn't know she was a Samaritan, you might think she was a Christian. You know why? Because Christians have this weird thing about this. As soon as someone asks you a real question, you're like, oh, praise the Lord. You know, you walk into church, someone says, how are you? You say, praise the Lord. But you've just been arguing with your wife in the car and you're at each other's throats. What is this thing about us that just can't be real? You know? I have three points I want to... Three points I want to speak on this morning. And I hope God is... I know God is going to speak to us. God is going to challenge us about certain things in our hearts. And God is going to bring a lot of freedom in this place this morning. The first point... Everyone is carrying a water jar. Everyone is carrying a water jar. This woman was carrying a water jar. And um, the jar symbolizes the thing that you go to to quench your thirst. Right? I was in Oxford uh, a few weeks ago. I went to visit a friend. And she had some Christian friends. So we all kind of got together. And we were having a meal. And we had the meal. And afterwards, we started to get real. You know, I said, hey, you know. What's your story? When did you start following Jesus? And we all shared that. And then I talked about my journey with pornography. And they were all just shocked. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, it's just me. You know, I'm the only one with the problem. But uh, <laughs> 10 minutes later, we kind of left the table. We kind of socialized and playing games. And one by one, they start to come up to me and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. One person's like, hey, I can't can't stop drinking when I go out. It kills me. One girl was like, hey, I, I watch Korean movies. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help me. But it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that to you is bringing a sense of shame. It's got to get out. God wants to bring healing to that. All right? And I believe this morning, if you would get real with God... God wants to bring healing to that. Everyone is carrying a water jar. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. We should have it on the screen, guys. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. I'm going to try and find it in my Bible. Before then. Got it? It says, my people have committed two sins. This is God speaking. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, 
and they have dug for their, their own, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And this is the place of the jar. I'm convinced that if you don't know Jesus, you are carrying a jar that you think is going to quench the thirst in your soul. But it doesn't work. Because every time you try, it doesn't satisfy. You've got to go back to the same well, and it's not quenching your thirst. And that's the place of this woman. Jesus says, hey, the water you're drinking now, it's not going to quench. You're going to have to come back. But I'm going to give you living water. This is God speaking to his people. He says they've dug their own cisterns. They've forsaken me. They have left me on the side and gone to find their own way. People are looking after money. People are going after fame. Going after achievements because you think when you get those things, you will be satisfied. But you will not. Story after story of famous people who've gotten all this stuff. And they look back in the end of their lives and go, it was worth nothing. This was the place of Solomon when he said, vanity. Because he had forsaken his God. And I feel like God wants to challenge you this morning. Hey, what's the thing in your heart that you would turn into instead of me? For some people, it's marriage. You think when you get married, you're going to be satisfied. For some people, it's wealth. You think when you get a certain amount in your bank account, then you'll be truly happy. Some people, it's achievement, it's fame. You think, if everyone knows who I am, then I'll be happy. Mm. No, you won't. Because Jesus is the only water that actually satisfies. Amen. Amen. You know what I think part of the problem with shame is? Is that we as Christians um, have this weird tendency to look down on other people because of their brokenness. And woe to you. Woe to you if you look down on someone else because of their brokenness. All it says is that you haven't recognized the brokenness in your own heart. Jesus said, how are you trying to bring out the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log, you've got a log in your eye? Get the log out of your own eye. Stop judging like that. Talking to the Pharisees. Get the log out of your eye. There was a woman caught in adultery, brought to Jesus in John chapter 8. And Jesus said these words. We don't have it up. Oh, there it is. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. If you don't know the story, there's this woman. She was caught in adultery and then she was brought to Jesus. And the Pharisees said, hey, this woman was caught doing this. What should we do to her? Should we kill her? The Lord says we should kill her. The Lord says if you sin, you need to be killed. And Jesus said, what about you? What about your own sin? What do we do about that? Should we kill you too? We have the next verse. Chapter 8, verse 8. He stooped down and wrote on the ground. Next verse. Verse 9. And to this, at this, those who heard began to move away. One at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left standing with the woman. Because each of them realized, I'm broken too. I'm a sinner too. Can't judge someone else. Amen. Three times in the Gospels, the Pharisees ask him, hey, why are you hanging around with sinners and, and bad people? And Jesus says, I've not come for the, the healthy. I've come for the sick. The healthy don't need a physician. The sick do. 
This is recorded. This is actually recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them say it. There are very few things that are recorded in more than one or two Gospels, but this is one of them because it's, it's, it's important. It's important. You can't look down on people because they're dealing with stuff. How am I doing, Pastor Phil? All right. Point two. It's time to get real. (laughs) It's time to get real. There's a story in Genesis chapter 32, 24 to 28. This is a story of Jacob. Um, Jacob was a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, son of Isaac, who was son of son of Abraham. And Abraham was the first one that God spoke to and said, "Hey, come out. I want to start a generation of people with you, through which I'm going to bring my son." All right, so. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. And Jacob is a very funny guy. You know, he has some very exciting stories. But there's this one time, his dad is going to bless his elder brother Esau. And, um, and his mom, his mom is sneaky. Any sneaky moms in the house? Own up now and receive your freedom. <laughs> his mom is sneaky and she says, hey, I know what your dad likes. I'm going to make it. I'm going to cook the meal for him, and then you're going to take it, and you're going to take the blessing that was not meant for you, all right? You're going to take the blessing. It's going to be good. No one's going to know. You're going to be blessed. And Jacob says, all right, mom. All right, mom. And Jacob goes to his father, and he says, I brought the food that you requested. Will you bless me now? And his father, his father is old and a bit weak, but he hasn't lost his touch completely. And his father says, that's not the voice of Esau. That's not the voice of, that's not the voice I'm expecting. He says, what is your name? And he says, I am Esau, your son. Fast forward a few years. Uh, Jacob is coming back to meet his son Esau. It's funny how these things have a way of catching up with you. He's coming back to meet Esau. And he's so scared. He is scared. He is pooping his pants. Scared. And he sends all his, it's bad when as a father, you send all your family to go ahead, to go and die. And then you wait at the back to see what happens to them. Imagine that. And this is what this guy does as an old man, full grown man, sending your children, go, 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 go and fight. Let me stay here. Sorry, that's my Nigerian accent coming out. <laughs> Some people are like, huh? But um, there's this really funny story. There's a moment he sends everyone away and he's left alone. And the Bible says he wrestled with a man. The story is in Genesis 32, verse 24. I don't know if we have it up. Yeah. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Next verse. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, it touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Do you recognize that question? Yeah. That's the same question his father asked him. His father said, what's your name? And then he faked it. He said, I'm Esau. But now he's fighting God. Can't fake it with God. It's the story of Jesus. Jesus said, go and call your husband. He said, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, I know. You've had five. You have one now. 
he said. Oh. But now he gets real. Now he says, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. Next verse. Then the man said, this is the man he was fighting. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with men and have overcome. What was Jacob's question to this man? I won't let you go until you bless me. God won't bless you until you get real. Until you stop running. Until, until you stop pretending that everything's all right. Until you stop trying to fake it till you make it. Don't expect nothing from God. God wants you to get real. You know what's funny? That story has um, the verse that says, God is looking for the true worshippers. The worshippers worship in spirit and in truth. The word truth means nothing hidden. That's the word truth. And Jesus is saying, because her question was, are we going to worship on this mountain or on the next mountain? Jesus said, no, you worship in the spirit. But then she didn't want to be honest. So she had to know, you need to be open. You can't worship with some lies. You can't worship with some skeletons in your cupboard. You need to come forward and say, God, this is who I am. But I need you. Those are the kind of people that God is after. If you will be real with me, I will bless you. Amen. Prodigal son, same story. Comes to the father and says, hey, I've messed up. I've messed up. Do you know what's funny? The father doesn't clean him up. Not yet. It's not the time for that. The father starts to kiss his son. He says, finally, you've come to your senses. Finally, you want to get real. Finally, you want to get honest. You want to get open. And he gives him a ring. If you read the story, it's in um, the prodigal son story. Where is it? Bible scholars in the house. You want to help me? No one. Where's Aruna? Luke 15, verse 17. That's where it is. Eighteen? Okay, go to maybe about nineteen. Okay, nineteen. Next one. This is when it comes back. It says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Next verse. So he got up and went to his father. While he, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Next verse. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I want to be real now. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, the father doesn't even respond to this guy. He says, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. The robe is a signal of his royalty. God, the father says, I'm restoring you completely. The father gives him a robe. Keep that verse up, please. The father gives him a robe for his, a robe for his royalty, a ring to restore his authority as a son, and he gives him sandals to restore his dignity. And then they can go clean him up. But this is what the father wants to do to those who are willing to get real. He says, I'm going to put you back where you should be. 
put you back where you belong. You're better than this. I know you messed up. I know you've had your time away. I know you thought this thing is going to satisfy the thirst in my heart. I know you thought something but God is going to fill that hole. But now you're back. And now we're going to take you back to your place. You're my son. I restore your authority. I restore your royalty. I restore your dignity. You don't need to be ashamed anymore. This is the call of the Father. Jesus said, the Father is seeking for worshippers like this who will be real with him. My final point this morning as I begin to close. Get up and drink up. Get up and drink up. In 1 Kings chapter 19, um, there's a prophet called Elijah. And <laughs> he, he is distraught. You know, he had, he had just done some really big miracle. But now he hears, if we go to verse 2, uh, Jezebel is the queen of the land. And she sends a message to Elijah. She says, may the gods deal with me severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like that of one of them. So Elijah has killed a lot of the false prophets, guys who were speaking against God or speaking for a different God. And now the queen says, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to kill you. Your life's on the line. You're a wanted man. I'm going to kill you. And this prophet of God runs. And he goes to Beersheba in Judah and leaves his servant there. Verse 4. He went a day's journey into the desert and he came to a tree and he sits down under it. He says, I've had enough. Take my life. Anybody ever felt like that? I've had enough. Some of you are like that right now. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Next verse. He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. There is a thirst in the soul of man for the food that only God can give. Nowhere else. Nowhere else does it. You study all the different religions. You study all the different worldviews. Nothing else satisfies like Jesus does. Jesus says, I'm going to give you living water. This water I give you will become a well in you. You're going to be fully, fully satisfied. Psalm 16 verse 11. In the presence of God there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God wants to take you to a place with him where you are constantly receiving satisfaction in your soul. A famous preacher says this. He says, in the end, the heart longs not for any of God's gifts, but for God himself. The heart longs not for the gifts, not for the blessings, but for God himself. To see him, to know him, and to be in his presence. This is the soul's feast. This is the feast of the soul, the presence of Jesus. You know, recently I started struggling with some temptation. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, hey, you're not eating well. That's why you're struggling. Not eating well. He said, if you would give me one hour a day, in the morning and in the evening, I will fill you up. Started to do it. Go through the day. No temptation. I'm not saying that's going to be the same for you. Oh, no, no, no. Temptations are real. But there is, a, there is a real place when you are full of God, 
The things of the world lose their hold on you. They lose their appeal. They lose the sense of satisfaction because you see them for what they are. You're like, I've eaten. I've got the real deal. I've got the real stuff. I don't need that. And that's where God wants to take us as his children. He wants us to be so full of him that nothing else can convince us that they're better. Nothing else can trick us. God wants you to be full of Jesus. He wants to be full of Jesus this morning. Full of Jesus. I've got some practical tips of how you can do that. Stay in the word. Jesus said, abide in the word. Abide in me. Our generation, we're so blessed. There are like so many different ways of reading the Bible. There's audio Bibles. There's different translations. Dr. John Robert Shaw, he's not here. He might be listening. He does this thing where every year he does a Bible plan, but every year he picks a different translation. And so he gets a fresh message of the, of the text. And guys, we were, when we started our first session for Ignite this year, Aruna said, you have no excuse to not be in the Bible this year. Taking no prisoners, get in the word. Get in the word. Guys, I encourage you, get in the word. Whatever it takes, one minute, two minutes, ten minutes, two hours. Get in the word. Amen. Get in prayer. Jesus said, I I do what I see my father doing. In the word, we are introduced to the father. In prayer, the father introduces himself to us. As we introduce ourselves to him. As you open up before God and you say, hey, God, this is what's going on. Hey, God, can you help me with this? He begins to walk with you. He begins to talk with you. He begins to tell you that you're his own. Get in prayer, guys. Yeah, prayer meetings at King's Church. We're blessed to be here. Like two Tuesdays a month. Just come down. Come down and pray. Pray your own. Pray every day. Pray at work. Pray all the time. Talk to God. Stay thankful. Cultivate a heart of gratitude. You know, the Holy Spirit showed me some things about my heart a a while ago. And he said, hey, um, your heart is starting to stink of entitlement. You're starting to think that you deserve things. And he said, you know why? You stop saying thank you. You stop, you stop being grateful. You see, gratitude reminds us, it turns our hearts to the goodness of God. This is how we stay. This is how we stay. This is how we stay drinking from Jesus, guys. Stay grateful. Stay grateful. And finally, live in community. Live in community. Don't isolate yourself. If the worship team want to come back up. Um, a, while, a year ago, I, um, I had to go back to Nigeria because I was struggling at uni with some of my reading. My grades were bad. And um, I was nearly kicked out. They were like, hey, I don't think you should come back. And Runa called me. I love this man, man. Aruna called me, he said, hey, I'm with you. Whatever happens, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if you're coming back or not, but I'm with you. This is the value of community, guys. When you can't see Jesus with your own eyes, Jesus brings himself to you in the form of people, in the form of the people you connect with. This is why you got to stay in, stay planted. Don't go off on your own. Don't be that sheep that walks off. Stay with the fold. God's going to reveal his love to you in more ways than you can realize.
Psalm 113, Psalm 133, Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3. Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard and running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is a sieve, the dew of Hermon, why falling on Mount Zion? For there, where? In unity. When you stay connected, you stay together. There, the Lord bestows a blessing, even life forevermore. There, the Lord bestows a blessing, even life forevermore. You see, this woman in John chapter 4, she came to Jesus. And she was the woman. She was the woman with five husbands. When she got real, she became the evangelist. The first evangelist in the gospel of John. The woman who had five husbands. Look at what's possible, guys, when you get real. God will change your life. God will change your life. Can we stand? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.